If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to join me this morning, beginning in Matthew chapter 2. I know it's going to say Luke up on the screen, but trust me when I tell you, we're going to start in Matthew 2, verses 19 through 23, and make our way into the gospel of Luke. We began a couple weeks ago with the pre-existent Jesus there alongside God the Father and God the Spirit in the creation of all things. Last week, we moved on to that small baby in a manger as Jesus finally made his entrance into our world as a human being. And today we're going to follow him just a little bit further in the story. Uh, we don't have a ton of details about Jesus's life as a child making his way up to the beginning of his earthly ministry, but we're going to look this morning at the details we do have as we follow Jesus and his family in the first few years of his life. It's going to be the kind of sermon where we go back to the scripture for each of the installments of the story as we go. And so if you keep your Bibles open, you'll be able to follow along with the text as we go. But let me begin with prayer before we dive in. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you for who you are. We are so thankful for this season, this stage that allows us to gaze upon the incredible truth, the incredible reality of your entrance into our world. As we look backward at that original entrance, as we look at the world around us today, and as we look forward to your arrival once again, we are caught up in this Advent drama. God, help us to feel once again the power of your incarnation in this season. And in these next few minutes, as we follow along and a little bit more of your story, Jesus, please, give us eyes to see just what you want us to see in this text. Give us hearts that are soft and ready to receive whatever you choose to reveal. And give us conviction that is strong so we can apply what we see and understand to the way we live every day. I pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to begin in Matthew 2, 19 through 23 with the Holy Family's return to Nazareth. I'll begin reading in verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. So this is the family's return to Nazareth. Some of the things we don't always think about is the timeline at the beginning of Jesus' life. It's likely that he and his family stayed in Bethlehem for up to two years after his birth. They had traveled there for the census. Jesus had been born. And when we piece the timeline together from our Gospels, it's likely they spent two years there before they were warned in a dream that Jesus' life was in danger. That's what led to their escape to Egypt. That is where they became those migrants, where they were seeking asylum in a foreign country because of the danger that was coming their way. And they stayed there in Egypt likely one to two years while they were waiting for the danger to pass. Eventually a dream came to Joseph that Herod was dead. He was the one who was threatening Jesus's life. And it's likely that the Holy Family at that point may have chosen to go back to Bethlehem. They had settled there. They had found peace there. They had left probably some baggage behind from Mary's pregnancy before she and Joseph were married, and there might have been an easier passage back to Bethlehem. But then they were warned once again that there was danger. 
Archelaus was ruling in place of Herod, his father, and so in another dream they were told to withdraw to the district of Galilee to a town called Nazareth. They ended up back in Mary and Joseph's hometown. But this was the beginning of Jesus' time in Nazareth, not until he was about four years old. Now, Nazareth is a town so obscure that it wasn't even listed among 63 other towns in the history that Josephus wrote about this time. There was a population of about 500 people there, and there are signs from our history that it was a community that was disdained by some of the communities around us, around it. But this is where Jesus grew up, in this space. And we're reminded once again of his obscure humanity, his willingness to leave glory, to live in such an unknown space. We're going to fast forward now from year four to eight additional years where we find Jesus at the temple. Our text is Luke 2, verses 41 through 47. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. This is the only biblical record of Jesus' life between about the age of four and the beginning of his ministry at the age of 30. Now, there are some apocryphal accounts. The apocryphal accounts are the ones that didn't have quite as many manuscripts or the manuscripts weren't deemed quite as reliable, so they weren't included in our scriptures. But people... People are attracted to these apocryphal accounts because sometimes they're a little bit wild. For instance, there's one where Jesus takes these clay sparrows and to impress his friends, he turns them into live sparrows right before their eyes. There's another scene where Jesus is working with his father in their carpentry shop and one of the pieces of wood they're working with isn't quite long enough, so miraculously, Jesus stretches the board so that it makes the project work together. There's even a story where Jesus gets upset at one of his childhood friends, and so he looks at him and withers him as punishment. There are apocryphal accounts, so we're not quite sure how reliable they are. We're probably better sticking with our biblical accounts, like the one that we have here of this time when they traveled to Jerusalem. So let's take notice. The family was on their annual trip to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. There were three festivals a year, and the men were required to attend at least one of them. But attending that festival meant taking a multiple-day journey to be in the city to experience all that that festival brought to them. He brought Mary along this time, and he brought Jesus along as well. They spent eight days in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, and then they began the three-day trip that would take them home. As they make this trip, picture a large caravan. It was all of their relatives and friends. They would travel together for purposes of safety and also to be able to support each other and help each other along the way. And you've heard that concept of it takes a village to raise a child. That was typically the way these things would work. So it's not that Mary and Joseph were negligent in losing Jesus. It was very natural for them to assume that he was just with one of their other relatives or with some of their friends until they started looking around about a day into that journey. Three days later, after searching for him in Jerusalem, they finally locate him, and they find him in the temple, where Luke tells us that he was sitting among the teachers. 
that he was listening to them and that he was asking questions. That wouldn't be altogether strange for a boy Jesus' age to be doing this. Jewish boys would become sons of the covenant at age 13. It was when their religious education would become very strong and they'd begin doing that at age 12, the age of Jesus at this time. So he was using the teaching he was receiving to interact with Jerusalem's top teachers. Legends and paintings depict Jesus standing and teaching the teachers on this occasion, involved in dialogical teaching with the best of the best. And we're told that everyone who heard him was amazed. They were amazed at his understanding, and they were amazed at his answers. Well, Jesus' reunification with his parents comes in Luke 2, 48 to 51. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Most parents will probably be able to relate to this scene in some way, shape, or form. Every time that I read this story, I think back to a time when our little daughter Zoe was three years old. We traveled to see friends up in the Gilroy area in Northern California, and we spent the day at a place called Gilroy Gardens. It's an amusement park, kind of small, and we were having an incredible experience there. We spent the morning going on rides and enjoying each other's company, and then it came lunchtime, and so we scouted out a spot with some picnic tables to sit down, and we got our food ready to go. And it was right about when we were settling into the picnic tables that we started looking around, and Zoe was gone. She wasn't with us. And there's that horrific panic that sets into the heart of any parent as we started scanning around trying to keep ourselves calm starting to ask people had they seen a little rambunctious girl because she was rambunctious and she used to love to run so we did and so we knew that she might have gotten a head start on us so we asked everybody in the area where you know where she was or if they'd seen seen her and about five minutes into the search I remember turning around and looking way down on a lower level of this park where we were, about 100 yards away, and there is Zoe running full speed the opposite direction. Zoe! You know, screaming, nothing. She's running full speed the other way. So we take off running. We catch up to her. We scoop her into our arms, and our hearts are bursting with joy, of course, because she was not harmed. We found her. Nothing terrible happened in this moment. But right mixed in with that beautiful joy is What's wrong with you? Why are you running away from us full speed? You know, there's that, there's that twin emotion that's kind of held inside of you as you're doing this. You're letting the joy be primary, of course, but, uh, but there's something in you that's going, why did this happen? When I see Mary's response to Jesus, when they finally find Jesus in the temple, I imagine that same mix of emotions was present. In fact, you can kind of see it in the question that she asked why in the world are you here doing this? And then also when she says to him, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. It's a very strong word, that word anxiously in the Greek text. It conveys deep anguish and pain. Yet there's a calm and confident response that comes from Jesus. He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? In a way, he sort of rebukes his parents very gently when they express this concern for him. And there's a very interesting play on words happening here. Mary says to him, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, but Jesus' response is, my father's house was where I needed to be. 
obviously speaking about his heavenly father. And it's in this moment in the Gospels that theologians agree something called filial consciousness is beginning to happen in Jesus. Filial consciousness. It's the idea within himself, the awareness within himself, that he is something more than a 12-year-old boy. That he is, in fact, the son of God. That he has been incarnated to his existence here on earth and that he has a mission that he needs to accomplish that he needs to be in his father's house and follow after his father's directions now timing is well no first it says they did not understand what he was saying to them his parents jesus was beginning to embrace this call but his parents weren't quite there yet and we have to remember the timing is everything. We talked last week about Galatians 4.4, that Jesus came into this world at just the right time. And the same is true of the launch of his earthly ministry. It wasn't time yet. He was still a boy. There was still some growing and maturing and developing to happen before he would engage in that ministry. But we get the sense here that he understands why he's come. Then we get to the missing years. The missing years from Jesus' life. From age 12 to age 30, nothing is written about Jesus' life. Nothing is shared with us about his development, about Nazareth, about carpentry, about early signs of leading disciples, any of this. We're just nothing there except for this one verse, Luke 2, 52. Luke 2, 52 says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. All of those missing years covered in that one single statement. Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom, which speaks to his intellectual development. He grew in stature, which speaks to his physical development. He grew in favor with God, which speaks to his spiritual development. And he grew in favor with people, which speaks to his social development. Now, if you look at those four ways that Jesus grew during those years, you'll quickly recognize that all of us grow in those same four ways. All of us develop and mature in the same ways that Jesus did. And this one single statement, as much as I pine away for more detail about what took place between age 12 and age 30, this one single statement really inspires me because beyond Jesus just entering into the world, it's a reminder to all of us that Jesus developed as we develop. He grew as we grow. He was involved as a human being in all of these same processes, experiencing so much of the same experiences that every single one of us have in this world. There's no detail, but we know that he'd spent 18 additional years of growing and maturing, all the while identifying with the human experience. It's what makes him such a great high priest for his people today. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus is able to empathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way like us. And so maybe we're just invited to use our imagination for that gap in time of what it was like as Jesus grew so that we're ready for what he brings as he begins that earthly ministry. All that's left in this story before Jesus' earthly ministry begins is Mary, his mother's response to all that is taking place. If you look at Luke 2.51, you see that it says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. That statement might sound familiar, and it's because you've heard it before. Mary began treasuring all these things in her heart in chapter 2, verse 19, when she was first told that she would be having Jesus, that she would be the mother 
of the Savior of the world. That was when that first shocking news came, and she treasured these things. A true contemplative, pondering, wondering, meditating upon how on earth this could take place and what it would be like to play a role in this cosmic drama. And here she's doing it again. She's pondering, she's wondering, she's meditating. And I think in doing so, she becomes an amazing example for each of us. Because you see, the invitation that Advent is for us to do exactly the same. It's a season to set aside that allows us the chance to think through all that Jesus has done and all that he is doing in this world and all that will come when he arrives once again. We are invited to meditate. We are invited to ponder. We are invited to wonder. All of those events, all of the events of our crazy world today, all of the events of each of our lives, all in the light of the power of the incarnation. That's our Advent invitation that comes today. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, we have just a week to go in this Advent season. We desire to sink deep into the kind of treasured thought, the kind of meditation modeled for us by Jesus' mother Mary. How overwhelming it must have been for her to be in the midst of that drama. And yet here she is, another 12 years in, still wondering, still pondering, still meditating. We do the same. The music of this season, the readings of this season, all of the trappings of this Advent season, they invite us once again into that deep reflection over all that you have done, all that you have done to come into this world, all that you modeled for us, all that you sacrificed, all to make us yours. And so Jesus, help us, journey with us as we pilgrimage with you across this last week leading to Christmas. Meet us in the midst of those ponderings, those quiet moments, reminding us of your deep love for each of us. We pray all of this with gratitude, Jesus. Amen.